In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Many of you know, I'm sure, that there is a group of parishioners participating right now in a series called Sacred Ground. This is a curriculum put together by the National Church to encourage dialogue across difference, to help us understand the history of the many different peoples who live in this country, and ultimately help us to begin to address and learn to understand so that we can try to fix some of the racial injustice and disparity in this country. We're about halfway through, and it's a, it's a challenging curriculum for sure, but I think it's been a clarifying experience for many of us. In our last session, we talked a little bit about some of the injustices in the world, specifically in our country that, that are around us today and how that connects to the history of who we are and who we will be. We talked about the many stories of the people who lived and live here. And there was some mention also of the headlines, of the way that these stories play into the news and into the headlines and particularly into the many difficult things that we see happening around us. We talked about how things aren't the way they should be. And that certainly feels like an understatement for us, doesn't it? In the middle of this season, in, in the middle of this long period of distance, nothing seems to be the way that it should be. And certainly spending just a few minutes looking through the headlines or listening to the news will confirm that for you. And I wanna be clear to say, this isn't about political parties or party affiliations. This is about the human condition and our belief that as Christians, Jesus came so that each person might have life and have it abundantly. This is the core of who we are, this belief. It's even in our baptismal covenant. We promise to respect the dignity of every human being, which is a tall order in all of our words and all of our actions and in everything we do to be considering the dignity and the needs of the other, to seek and serve Christ in all people. Now, a quick scan of the headlines will tell you that the world around us, the country around us, many of the people around us don't share those values. We continue to see the scourge of gun violence visited on our neighbors. We are separated by vitriol, by difference, by politics, by language. Our systems of government and education and many other systems are still very unequal and unfair. And there are children and families who don't have enough to eat. There are people who are suffering tonight. There are people without a safe place to sleep tonight. We find ourselves threatening other nations and other peoples and inching toward armed conflict. And we have failed to solve the problems of racial injustice and inequality. Here at home, close to us, in our community even, there's more. We carry the weight of the loss of loved ones, of sick family members, of sadness, of pandemic, of distance, of isolation, and of loss. And truthfully, I'm one of those people now that watches the news for a few minutes in the morning just to see what's going on in the world, and then I have to turn it off. Because everything we hear, not everything, but quite a lot of what we hear, both nationally and locally, seems to be in many ways the same story, repeated over and over and over again, and so much of it comes down to power. Who has power over what and over who? Who wants power? Who feels powerless? Who chooses to exert power by force? So much of the struggle that happens around us, both near and far, is ultimately about power. How strikingly different is that than the story that we hear in the gospel tonight? 
In our story tonight in the gospel, God incarnate, God in Christ, God in the flesh, who created the heavens and earth, who literally has all the power there ever was. This divine being that we call Jesus is sitting at a dinner table and he knows what is about to happen to him. He knows that his friend is going to betray him, that Judas will hand him over for 30 pieces of silver, that Peter will deny him. He knows that in this moment of need, all these people around him will abandon him. The people he loves, the people who say they love him, who believe deeply that they love him, will abandon him. Jesus knows that in his time of greatest need, he will find himself utterly alone, and he knows that in the garden he will be hunted, trapped by the guards, and that he will be put on a collision course with the cross. He knows that he will suffer, that he will hurt emotionally and physically. He knows that the cross is an instrument of torture and death, and ultimately that it will take his human life from him. It's clear when he's in the garden praying that he knows what is about to happen to him. This too is a violent story, and it is all about power. And yet it's remarkably different than what we hear in the news because of the way that Jesus responds because of the way he uses his power, because of his lack of violence, because of the way the savior chooses not to fight, even though he literally has all of the power within him, all the power there ever was or ever will be. In this moment, Jesus is facing more pressure than any of us ever will. Most of us, I hope, won't ever come near that kind of fear, that kind of abandonment. I pray that none of us have to experience anything even remotely like this dark night for Jesus to be betrayed by those you love most, knowing that death is coming and that first you will suffer. All the while experiencing the soul-crushing feeling of being misunderstood, misrepresented, deeply aching because the, the very people that you love are the ones who have betrayed you. And yet, beginning tonight and all the way through the journey to the cross, Jesus does not lash out. He does not fight. He does not threaten to drop bombs or struggle for power. He doesn't grab for power or tell God that he's not going to do it. He doesn't ask God to deport the guards or punish the priests. He doesn't even speak harshly in this moment. He doesn't even raise his voice. He does elsewhere in scripture, to be clear, but not here. Here, he has chosen a path. And even though he has all the power, he uses it in a completely different way than anything we have ever seen before. He sits at the table with people he knows are about to leave him, and he appears to forgive them even before they have betrayed him. Because when he breaks bread with them, he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Before they've even hurt him, before they've even done what they're going to do, he is already caring for them, knowing that they will grieve, that they will miss him, that they will be sorry for what they've done, that they will need him and they will not know what to do. And because he won't be able to be with them physically then, he does two things. He institutes 
this great meal of the Eucharist that we still share in, a meal that binds us up and is intended to strengthen us and comfort us, a meal that forgives us and heals us, a meal that is supposed to transform us more and more into his body. He gives this to them to strengthen them, to comfort them, to help them remember him. And he stoops down, tying a towel around his waist and washes the feet of his disciples. In this moment, he knows that his disciples are about to disappoint him, that they will fail him, and he stoops to serve them anyway, so that they might learn how to serve each other. Both of these rituals that we mark traditionally on this Thursday in Holy Week, the Eucharist and the foot washing, were given to us so that we might learn how to be more like him. They're more than symbolic. They're intended to teach us how to represent him in the world so that we might serve him in our neighbors, so that we might learn how to bear him in us so well that we can show the world what his love looks like. The foot washing that we do often on this night is a symbol. It's not that God wants us to go around literally washing each other's feet all the time. It's that God wants us to go around serving each other in practical ways that make sense to us in our relationships right now in a, in a meaningful way in a way that requires us to kneel down and to take the lower seat, to make ourselves subservient to someone else and to lift them up. This is the opposite of exerting any kind of power over someone else. It's in fact, giving power away. You're taking the position of a servant and lifting someone up above you. The symbol of foot washing is about the fact that Jesus came to serve rather than to be served so that we might learn how to do the same thing. So that if we want to follow Jesus, we might see this lowly kind of service and recognize that it is required of us. That we would see the need to love our neighbor so much that we stoop down low to serve them in practical, concrete ways that make sense for us in the world right now. What does it mean for us to give up our privilege and our power and our position? What does it mean for us to stoop and to bend down and to serve people that maybe we don't know very well, or even people that we might think would disappoint us? What does it mean for us to learn to be like Jesus in this world and to love so well that we let go of the pride of needing to stand up, of needing to be in the superior position and learning to serve all people regardless of who they are or what we think about what they might have done? This is what Jesus does in this moment. And even though he is God incarnate, <laughs> he doesn't use that divinity as a status to raise himself over us. Instead, his whole being on earth, his whole presence with us, his whole journey as a living, breathing man is a, a sign, it's, a, it's proof of him emptying himself and stooping down to live with us, to serve us and to save us. And in the midst of that, he comes to understand what it is to be human and to show us the way of love so that we would see God's love in action in this Jesus who in the midst of violence is consistently kind. And this Jesus who even when he's threatened, even when he's hurt, is consistently peaceful and loving. So the question for us tonight is do we see the difference do we see the difference between the world we live in and the kingdom that God calls us to build? 
Do we see the difference between the power of God and the false power of this world? Do we see the difference between the way the world lives and the way that God calls us to live? There are two paths, always. One is self-assured. It says that might is right and that power makes for security. And in the end, that path leads us to destruction, to isolation, to false security, to broken relationships. The only power that leads us to life is the power of God, the kind of power that is made perfect in weakness, according to the Apostle Paul. When we choose love instead of hate, peace instead of war, hospitality instead of exclusion, and our neighbor's best interest even at the expense of our own, when we choose to stoop down. Tonight, Jesus is hunted by the powerful. Tonight, Jesus is turned over by those who are concerned for their own power and their own will and their own stories. Tonight, Jesus is questioned by the powers of this world. And even for Jesus, this kind of power, this earthly exertion of power leads him to death. The second path is the path of love the path of service, the path of willful disobedience to the ways of the world, a path that calls us to stoop down, a path that calls us to serve, a path that calls us to remember him in a simple meal, in loving each other, in putting the needs of our neighbors and the common good of our community ahead of our own. It is a path that turns power on its head, completely upside down, and says that love always comes first, not force, not power, but love always love. Do this, he says, to remember me. Amen.